We're going to be talking this morning about John the Baptizer from Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. And I titled the message, What Shall We Do? So we know that, just a little bit of pre, a little highlight here, that John preached a message of repentance. So after the people would go out and hear and would repent and believe on him, confess their sins, confession was the main topic this morning in Sabbath school, when they would confess their sins or repent and believe on the Lord, the one to come, then their question, what shall we do? What shall we do? So let's look to the word of the Lord. Luke chapter 3, 1 through 17 again. Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being Tetrar, Tetrar of Galilee, his brother Philip, Tetrar of Euturia, and the region of Trachonitis. Now I looked up the pronunciation on a lot of these words and I wrote it out in a way that I could say it because a lot of them don't sound like they look. And Lysanias, Tetrar of Abilene, while Annas and Caius, Caphias were high priest. The word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be shall be filled, and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough ways smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, Brood of vipers, who warn you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore, bear fruit worthy of repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. I'm going to pause for a moment. He's telling the religious people or the, anyone there listening, don't say to you, well, we have Abraham. We're good with God because we are descendants of Abraham. My friends, we can't say because I'm a member of this church or that church because my great, 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 great grandparents went here and everyone in between, and here I am too. We can't say because I am of Abraham. We can't say because I am of this church that I am good, that I'm okay with God. It has to be personal. Each and every one of us. So don't say we have Abraham as our father. You need to repent of your sins is what he was telling them. And even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? He answered and said to them, He who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. He who has food, let him do likewise. Then the tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed for you. Likewise the soldiers asked him, saying, What shall we do? So he said to them, 
Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely, and be content with your wages. Now as the people were in expectation and all responded in their hearts about John, or all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not, John answered saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. May God add his blessings to the hearing and the reading of his holy word. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, again, we come before you with hearts that are open, open to the word that you have for us. We thank you, Father, for your written word. We thank you for the word that you spoke through John the baptizer. Father God, that you was faithful to prepare the way for your son. Father, I pray that we would all respond as those who come out to hear John with repentant hearts. Father, may your spirit move among us. May your spirit not only be in this place, Father, but in our nation. Father, that your spirit would move across this nation to bring us to a place of repentance, Father, like the people in John's day. Father, may your spirit just be faithful to be with us each and every day, Father. Show us any failings that we might have, any faults that we might have, Father, that we may repent of them. Lord, that we too might repent and be baptized if we have not. Father, I just pray that you would just speak clearly to your people today. Let your servant be faithful to your words today. In Jesus' name, amen. As we looked at the book of Luke, we know that Luke was very meticulous in his writings, giving great attention to details. Luke was meticulous in his record of the births, the births and the lives of Jesus and John. Their entrance into, into humanity was marked by an angelic proclamation, both of them. We know the angel appeared to Zechariah, John's father, while he was in the temple, appeared to Mary and Joseph. Divine intervention. And John meticulously recorded these things. Friends, we know that salvation only comes through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. But we also know that John definitely was a, was a pivotal figure in God's salvation plan. Very pivotal. Pivotal. Yeah. Pivotal. I cannot talk this morning. He was the forerunner to Christ. The one to prepare the way for the Messiah. It is John who introduces a new dispensation. A dispensation is an organization of a nation. We know that God attempted to organize the nation of Israel to be the nation, to be faithful to His commandments, to follow His laws and His statutes, to show their neighbors the goodness of God, to show that God is merciful and kind. But as I have said so many times, they failed miserably. They truly failed miserably, which caused God to repeatedly discipline them. The dispensation of time of the law was where John stood. He had the law on this side, and then that dispensation of grace. John stands right in the middle, if you will, preparing the way 
for the coming of the Messiah because we know that the Messiah will usher in that dispensation of grace. So there John stands. You know, I believe that the way our passage began with all of that detailed list of those hard to pronounce names of who the Caesar was and who the governors were in this area and that region is a way of showing Israel that once again they are under the rule of another nation because again they failed to walk in God's ways. Once again being ruled that old organization, that old dispensation again has failed. Not because God failed them and gave them a flawed plan. My friends, God did not give them a flawed plan. They just failed in following God's plan. God gave them a perfect plan. But it was time, my friends, for God to do a new thing. It was time for the Messiah to come. To set up a spiritual kingdom. That dissipation, the spiritual dis, yeah, dissipation, dispensation. Karen, come up here this morning and just go ahead and use this. You know, not because God failed, but it's time for a new thing. John was the man that God chose to prepare the way for the Messiah to come. In Luke 1, 15-17, it's said of John, For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to their Lord, their God. And he will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Speaking very highly of John and that which he's going to do. You know, a few weeks ago or a couple weeks ago, I spoke of Samson. Remember that? One of the judges? My friend Samson was called of God from the womb, right? God, the angel spoke to his mother. He shall be a Nazarite. Shall never drink wine. Matter of fact, mom, you're not even to drink wine. He shall never touch anything dead. Well, how did he do following that? Remember? Not very well, did he? I mean, he was a mess. That's what I titled it. What a mess. What a mess he made of things. Touched that dead carcass to get honey out of it. Now, I'm pretty sure he had wine. He was not faithful to follow the vow that was given him. John, on the other hand, he lived a life that was as austere as his message. He was an ascetic. One who practiced severe self-discipline. In absence from all forms of indulgence. He lived out in the wilderness. He didn't have the comfort and the luxuries of a, a nice warm home. Of course, they didn't have air conditioning back then. I was going to say a cool home in the summertime. But his clothes was made of camel hair. I have never rubbed up against a camel, but I have a feeling that our polyester and cotton is a whole lot more comfortable than that camel hair. I don't think it was very comfortable. His sustenance, my friends, you're going to love this. Most of you probably know it. Was locusts and wild honey. Now I know wild honey. I know if you eat the honeycomb, all the nutrients that we need are in there. It will sustain us. 
if we need it. So I could go for the honeycomb, but them locusts, you know, I think most Americans will probably cringe at the thought of eating locusts, wouldn't you? I don't know. You know, do, do you pluck the wings off? I don't know. However, in many African, Middle Eastern, and Asian countries, locusts are considered a delicacy and eaten in abundance. You know what I say? They can have them. <laughs> but they say that they are an excellent source of protein and, create, and, and contain a variety of fatty acids and minerals. So apparently they are good for you. But again, you can have them. You know, John's public ministry ended nearly 400 years of prophetic silence. He was that voice spoken of by Isaiah. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. 400 years. Now here's John preparing. Prepare the way. His message and ministry marked the culmination of the law and the prophets in the beginning of God's kingdom, His spiritual kingdom. He truly was a transitional figure. One thing we know for certain, if you've read anything on John the Baptist, he was not a tickler of your ear. He was not the kind of preacher that was worried about pleasing the crowd. He told it like it was. He was not afraid to confront the hypocrisy of the religious establishment at that time. One verse said, You brood of vipers, who warn you to flee from the wrath to come? But I believe the most important point from our passage is that John preached a message that was not his own but the message that God had given him. Faithful and true to what God had given him. The Word of God came to John. It was not His Word. The Word of God came to John. God gave it to him. And he preached it in the wilderness. His message was consistent with the message of Jesus and all the prophets who came before him. His message was a message of baptism of repentance. My friends, baptism is more than just a tradition. It's more than a symbolic gesture that we do. Dunking one's head under the water is more than just tradition. You might say, well then, what does it mean? It means that the person that is baptized actually turns from their old sinful ways and turns to God's ways. Asking for forgiveness of their sins. Submitting to the Lord. Submitting to the help of the Holy Spirit in their lives. To live in a, in a way that is pleasing unto God. The result of a baptism of repentance should be an observable change in one's attitude and behavior. We should notice it. If we're not noticing that maybe there wasn't a change. A true baptism will result in a change. You know, most Christians can probably recall a time in their lives before they repented of their sins, before they believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, where they experienced that tugging of their hearts by the Holy Spirit. It may have been a ping of conviction in your heart after you did something that was wrong and the Spirit that tugged 
revealed to you, hey, that was wrong, that was sinful. You know you shouldn't have done that. That moral conviction. It may have been a memory from something you were taught as a child whenever your parents or your grandparents took you to church. And you learned that. You heard that when you was little, but you got away. You got away from the church. You got away from the Lord. But now, those memories are coming back. That might be the tug. I learned when I was a child that this was wrong. Maybe my behavior is not where it needs to be. John 6, 44 and 45 says, No one can come to Me unless the Father who sent Me draws him. No one, my friends, no one can come to the Father unless the Spirit draws him. And I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. I want to expound on that, and they all shall be taught from God, by God. In Galatians 1, 15-18, and this is the Apostle Paul, he says, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb, again, a man that was separated from his mother's womb, and called me through His grace, to reveal His Son in me, that I might preach Him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. That means He did not go to man. I did not confer with flesh and blood. I didn't go to be taught by man, is what He's saying. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remain with him fifteen days. My friends, he was taught by God. The Holy Spirit taught Paul the things he needed for his ministry to the Gentiles. John was faithful. The Word of God came to John while he was out in the wilderness. He got his message from John, from, from the Lord. And his message got the attention of the people that he was speaking to, didn't it? You know, the people in the early church ask the same question that many today would ask after they've repented of their sins and believe on Jesus. Now what? Now what? What shall we do? Okay. I've sought forgiveness of my sins. Now what? What can I do? How do I live this life that you've just brought me into? What shall we do? How do we avoid the things we shouldn't do? John gives very practical instructions. He answered and said to them, He who has two tunics, a tunic is a coat. Let's just call it a coat, okay? He who has two coats, let him give to, one, to the one who has none. He who has food, let him do likewise. That's the most basic principles of living the Christian life, my friends. If you have two coats and you see a person who does not have a coat and it's cold outside, give him a coat. Help him to stay warm. If you see a person that is hungry, does not have food, and you have food in your cupboards, or you have the ability to go get food and provide for them, my friends, do it. Give it to them. 
You know, I found all kinds of little short quotes on giving. The first one says, God judges what we give by what we keep. Is that not true? Let's use the coat example. You've got 20 coats hanging in that closet. As a matter of fact, you've got a closet designated for coats. You like coats. You're a coat person. And you see a person out on the street that doesn't have a coat. And you go to your coat closet, your beautiful coat closet, but you pick out your least favorite coat. One of your least favorite coats and you take it and give it to that person. Is God pleased with your generosity? Probably not because you still have 19 that you like the best. God judges what we give by what we keep. How are we doing? This one's a little different. The trouble is that too many people are spending money they, don't yet earn, they haven't yet earned for things they don't need to impress people they don't really like. Isn't that a good one? I mean, that is true. Yeah, just wonder how in far in debt we are, right? W.A. Chriswell tells of an ambitious young man who told his pastor that he had promised God that he would tithe on his income. They prayed for God to bless his career. And at the time, he was making $40 a week and tithing $4. I mean, that's not a lot of income. Must have been a long time ago, right? But in a few years, his income increased. He was really blessed. He was tithing $500 a week. Do the math. Pat Paisley's the math person. How much was he making? $5,000 a week. Tithing $500. He called on his pastor to see if he could be released from his tithing promise. It was too costly now. The pastor replied, I do not see how you can be released from your promise. But we can ask God to reduce your income. So it would be a lot easier for a tithe $4. Next, the tax collectors ask John, what shall we do? What shall we do? Let's look for a moment at the tax burden in ancient Judea. Under Roman rule, the Jews of Jesus' day paid a religious tax to Jewish authorities for the maintenance of the temple. They had to pay this. They wanted their temple to be maintained. They wanted it to look good. They had to pay a religious tax. But they also paid a tax to the Roman government a tax that was often collected by harsh methods. The Roman tax included both direct income tax and custom duties. The duties were paid on traded goods, while merchants also paid tolls to use roads and bridges to enter towns. The cumulative weight of these taxes discouraged economic initiative. Think about that. We are taxed to the point what good does it do for us to go into business? Because we're going to pay most of it to tax. Are our leaders listening? Right? Let's don't tax people to death. It's not, they won't have no initiative to, bu to build businesses, to be able to pay taxes. They were discouraged. It is believed that they paid at least 30 to 40%, maybe even higher. How were the taxes collected? The Roman taxes were collected by a class of independent contractors who were usually Jews 
who worked in close association with the Romans. The tax collectors paid a fixed sum for their right to collect. So you have a little town. If you want to be my tax collector, Rome would say, here's how much tax I want from this city. Anything above that is yours. Can you see how they could abuse that? Tremendously abuse that. They would inflate the taxes. They would assess the goods that they would be carrying in for trade. They might open up a carton of scarves and maybe this month I assess these at $4 a piece. You come back next month, I assess these at $20 a piece. Well, that's not fair. Last month it was 4 Well, that's what it is this month. And there was no method to appeal that. They had to pay it or else. Is it any wonder that tax collectors were despised by the Jews? Because many were using their station to get rich. But what advice did John give the tax collectors? Collect no more than what is appointed to you. Collect the percentage that is appointed. Be truthful. Very interestingly, he didn't tell them to quit their jobs. That's a sinful job you have to quit. No, it was a necessary job. They needed the taxes. My friends, who here loves to pay taxes? I didn't think I'd see any hands go up. But who here knows that it's a necessity? Right? We like the roads we travel on. Well, some of them aren't so good, but we like the roads we travel on. We have schools for our children. We have a lot of things that are provided by these taxes we pay. But we don't love them. But they are a necessity. They were a necessity. He didn't say quit your job, but he's saying be truthful. Be honest. Be upright. Is that not good advice no matter what our occupation is? Be truthful. Be honest. Don't steal from your employer. Be truthful in all you do. The last group asked, the soldiers, what shall we do? Since John's ministry was in Galilee, the soldiers who came to him were most likely Jewish soldiers of Herod Antipas. Now, it could have been some Roman soldiers, but most likely it was the Jewish soldiers. Their primary responsibility would have been similar to that of a police officer today. So don't think of a soldier in the army. Think of a police officer. But really, it's all the same. Be the same, right? Do the same thing. A police officer today. They would have been prepared to defend their city. But John gave them clear instructions again. Do not intimidate anyone. Do not use your position of authority for intimidation. He's telling them, don't use your position to invoke fear for a purpose of taking advantage of people. A police officer or a soldier, my friends, is to be respected. They are to be respected today. But they need to do their jobs in a respectable manner also. That's what John's telling them. I was talking with Brian this morning. I mean, there's a whole lot of talk about our police forces today, isn't there? You think, though, think about this. The millions of policemen that go to work every day and do the right thing. But with today's technology, we can have one bad apple and it makes them all look bad. 
But John's advice is good for them. Do not intimidate. Do not invoke fear for the purpose of taking advantage of people. But again, be truthful, be honest, be upright, be respectable. Do what is right in the sight of God. Be content with your wages. Do not try to extort more money than what you are paid. Be content. Do not bribe. But the final point in John's passage today, you know, do they not use a lot of agricultural terminology in the Bible? From the beginning to the end, they use a whole lot of agricultural terminology. Isaiah 28, 24 says, Does the plowman keep plowing all day to sow? Does he keep turning the soil or breaking the clods? In Ruth 2, Now Boaz, whose young woman you were with, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. And in Luke chapter 8, our Lord uses some agricultural terminology. And when a great multitude had gathered and they had come to him from every city, he spoke, a, spoke by a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rocks, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up and yielded a crop a hundredfold. When he had said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Yield a good crop. Produce fruit for the kingdom of God. The last verse in our passage in Luke 3. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff will be burned with unquenchable fire. John's message was to prepare the people, to encourage them to repent, to make their hearts ready. My friends, it's not, not the message the church has for the world today. Prepare your hearts. Prepare them for the Lord that has come that we can have life. To urge them to open their hearts up to Jesus Christ. You know, it seems like no matter where I begin, where I get my message from, Old Testament or New, it ends up with Jesus. My friend, that's where it has to end. Because that's the most important thing. That our hearts are right with Jesus Christ. That we have repented of our sins. That we've heard that baptism of repentance. That we repent. John warns them of the one to come. My friends, He is the Creator. He has authority over that which He has created. He will have His winnowing fork in His hands. A, win a winnowing fork, in its simplest terms, is a, like a pitchfork. They would take the, the grain that has the, or the, the head of grain, it has the grain and the chaff that is around it. In its simplest form, they would throw it up into the air and let the wind blow the chaff away. The chaff is much lighter than the head, the grain. The chaff would blow away. The grain would fall back to the ground and be recovered. So my friends, in its simplest form, believers are the grain. And Jesus Christ will gather up the grain into His barn. But the chaff 
will be blown into the fire, and it will be burned with unquenchable fire. When Jesus Christ returns, there will be that separation. My friends, there is no middle ground, is there? There You're either the chaff, or you are the grain. No middle ground. You are either for Him, or you are against Him. John's message was very clear, very easy to understand, and this is very easy to understand. You are either for Jesus Christ. If you are not for Him, that means you are against Him. The good news is, we get to decide. We get to decide if we're going to enter into His barn. He says He's prepared a mansion, but in this setting, He's using barn. We're gathered into His barn. I want to be in His barn. Do you want to be in His barn? Repent of your sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And He will be faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. What then shall we do? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and do what is right. Be generous. Give. He has blessed us generously. We need to bless generously. We will be judged by what we keep. He wants us to give. You know, we aren't to give all of our coats away, then someone else is going to have to bless us, right? Then we'll be poor and destitute. But be generous. God has blessed each one of us. And back up one more time and say, we can't say we have Abraham. We can't say, well, my name's on the membership rolls at such and such a church. It's a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. One that has repented, Lord, forgive me, come in, be the Lord of my life. Giving our lives unto Him. Because they truly belong to Him. That we can be part of His eternal kingdom. That kingdom that God has ushered in with John the baptizer. Preparing the way. And Jesus brought in that spiritual kingdom. The kingdom of God is upon us. It is here. But my friends, the message today is coming again. And when he's coming again, again, he has that winnowing fork in his hand. And once that day comes, chances are done. Let's make that decision today. Let's make a decision for Christ today. Tomorrow may be too late. Amen?